Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImagineUpPublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast. We are very proud to have you um, from across the nation, as always, whether it's live or on the archives. Um, Today, we have a very special guest, uh, a a repeat offender (laughs) who happens to be in law enforcement, someone near and dear to our hearts. In uh, South Carolina, uh, Lieutenant Peter Sester, um, who is uh, also a, um, a a transplant from um, upstate New York, and is is always doing great things for the uh, Horry County uh, residents. And we are um, very pleased to have him here for a second time. Um, the first time was kind of an overview of uh, law enforcement procedures a couple of months ago, and today he has hand-selected a couple of um, uh, cold cases, uh, some, of, some of whom we know well, and it's always good to have more exposure because these families really do need help. Um, but before we welcome him live and in person, I want to say good morning to my co-host, Delilah. Um, it's it's great to have this show, and I'm looking forward to being able to see you in person next week on vacation. Hi. Hi. Yes, we have lots to do next week. Um, again, this is this is going to be a very informative show on some very important cases for Horry County, South Carolina, um, and Peter. Peter has been involved in all of them, and and we go way back to. Um, the first case I ever was involved in with Q Center for Missing Persons, it was the Alice Donovan case. So I'm looking forward to uh, more information coming out about these cases. And also, um, hopefully, tips will come in and something will happen. Absolutely. We, we do this because we want to be proactive and we don't, you know, we we want to be able to generate awareness and information. That's what this is about. It's a public service, and we're um, we're we're very ha- uh, glad to have this opportunity. And maybe, hopefully, we can do more on a on a on a semi whatever basis with Peter. So, without further ado, Peter, uh, thank you so much for being with us again. It's it's such a pleasure to have you. Well, good morning, Donna. Good morning, Delilah. I am just absolutely thrilled to be back on with you guys. I, yeah, you know, my passion is in is in police work. I've been doing it now for um, about thirty five, almost thirty six years. So I'm I'm quite passionate about my work and 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 helping people and helping you know bring um, some good news and sometimes some sad news to families. Right. Unfortunately, with you know, uh, it 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 both ways, and whether it's it's uh, resolution or recovery, I think regardless, I don't know if you would agree with me, but regardless of what the news is, 
it's better than being in a state of suspended uh, animation, um, you know, just in that limbo, not knowing state, a prolonged state. It is so very stressful. I think I read um, something recently about stress, and they said the highest degree of stress that any one person can have, and this is through recent studies, is is that state of uncertainty, Peter. So, you know, we get bad news, okay, it's bad news, and we eventually deal with it, we accommodate to it. Um, we get good news, of course, that's great, it lifts our heart. But what is it about the state, and especially with missing persons, because we are all, all three of us very much part and parcel of the Q Center, and they deal with that. What is it about the uncertain nature of homicide slash missing persons that, you know, uh, sort of just frustrates you as a person of law enforcement? Well, you know, when you when you think about it, so many families out there have members that are disconnected from from their family unit, disconnected either by their by their own wants or desires, just to go off the grid or whatever the case may be. But we, you know, Myrtle Beach, as you know, in Horry County is is a huge, huge transient area. So we've got we get people from all over all over the world basically coming here to vacation or, and sometimes just coming here to, to disappear. Um, you know, so when, when you're contacted by families and, and they report somebody missing, every case, every case is important. And the one thing I want to stress ahead of time is if, if someone, if you feel someone is missing from your family, you know, wh- whether you, suspect foul play right away or whether you're just not sure there's no timeline to wait uh, you know I constantly hear people say well I, you know I thought I had to wait 24 or 48 hours or a week that is so far from the truth the the truth is if someone is missing I don't care if they just left your site 10 minutes ago and you know some for some reason they're considered missing at this point we need to we need to get on that right away. Law enforcement needs to get involved immediately, and there is no time that law enforcement should ever say, "Well, you know, let's give it a few hours and see what happens." The quicker we get the ability to to jump into something, and and you know, in most cases, we find the people right away, or, or someone finds the people right away. But there are those cases where. People truly go missing, and those are the ones that we need to to really dig down deep into and see what we can do to help families out. Yeah, yes, I I totally agree with you, and I think, um, you know, we're not getting all that much um, help uh, like from the media and from uh, television shows that, to change the thinking about the timeline with regard to reporting people missing. It's still that old outmoded. You know, oh, we have to wait up to 72 hours. And people still have that in their mind. So we have to keep hammering that point every single chance we get. So, yes, thank you indeed for, for uh, mentioning that. It's very important. Um, just wondering um, why now we have three particular cases. Maybe we can spend about 20 minutes on each about. Um, okay. Uh, why, why did you select these three particular cases? We have David Mino. Uh, Randy Davis and Zachary Milanowski. Is there? I know. Talk about their commonalities, maybe, or is it the nature of the of the crimes? Why did you select these? Well, two are somewhat similar in nature. Zachary Milanowski and Randy Davis are similar in nature by the geographical areas that they went missing from, um, and where evidence was found in relation to them. The third case, it's actually David Mino, is I believe how the family pronounces it. David Mino was somewhat of a disconnect from his family, he, a bit of a loner. Um, he, he's originally from the Ohio area, came here to Myrtle Beach to, to settle in, and, and by numerous accounts was either living in a trailer or living, um, uh, um, you know, like, um, pretty much unhoused, um, uh, kind of like a nomad, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
and and, and David Mino, he's he's an older man. You know, at the time he went missing, 47 years old. Um, he went missing on July 8th of um, 2011, or thereabouts, on, in July of 2011. And and obviously, the only connection the family had to him was occasionally they would hear from him, and every once in a while, you know, they would check. He would get a um, disability check direct deposited, and he had access to banks to be able to draw that money. And while the family realized something was wrong when the draws of of money from that account stopped. Um, they reported him missing, and like most people in this area, I mean, we we did an initial investigation, um, found the people that he was, you know, connected to in this area, spoke with each of them. There didn't really appear to be anything oddly suspicious about him missing, but the one unique thing about David was he years prior, he had had a, an accident on a moped, and and um, and as a result of that, wore a halo device on his um, upper body and, and head area to, um, due to severe injuries that he sustained. Well, jump ahead to another case that you're all familiar with, the, the um, disappearance of Heather Elvis, and we were actually searching in December of 2003, some, you know, almost a little more than two years later when, when David Mino went missing. And in one of the target areas that we were searching for Heather in, we came across skeletal remains. And, and so obviously when you work in one case and, and, and all of a sudden you come across skeletal remains, it's like, you know, uh-oh, you know, stop the presses. We got to figure out what we have here it was obvious it wasn't going to be Heather Elvis based on the age of the of the skeletal remains and so forth. Is that and how you knew it wasn't it wasn't Heather because the bones appeared too old? That's correct. And, and there were other items there, some some jewelry and things like that, that led us to believe that it was you know other than Heather Elvis. Um, we didn't know who it was at that point, other than. We had, you know, some skeletal remains, um, and, and of course the Q people were on site with us, helping us to search for Heather. And I, I got to tell you, absolutely love those folks. They are the most dedicated and most proactive people as far as trying to find missing persons. I, I there isn't a person on that Q team that that I don't think the world of. They they really put everything into it. Well, at, at any rate. We, we come across these remains, and, and we expanded the area where the remains were and, and began a painstaking search through, through dirt, through water, through a heavy wooded area, all adjacent to a, 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 um, uh, an abandoned railroad track that runs into, into Myrtle Beach um, City itself. And... During, over the course of the next several days, we recovered probably 90% or better of, of, of the skeletal remains, um, but still had no idea, you know, who we were looking at or, or what had occurred, other than that area at one time had been a homeless camp. Um, so that gave us a little insight. Uh, we took the, the skeletal remains to a... Um, forensic um, 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 anthropologist and asked her to help us try and identify who this person was. Um, she, uh, great, real great forensic anthropologist out of the Charleston County Coroner's Office, uh, about two hours south of us. And she, um, she has just been terrific in a number of cases with us when we need that expertise. She was able to tell us some dynamics about the remains, that, that it was a male, that it was an adult male, you know, over the age of, of, of 25, say. And the one unique feature that she was able to tell us almost immediately was there was indications in the, in the upper bone structure of, of, the, um, of the chest area that at some time, a halo device had been connected to those bones. Well, 
that put us into a search mode of, you know, okay, who um, who do we know? Do we have anybody missing that may or may not have worn a Halo device? And over the next few days, up popped David Mino's name. Well, in the interim, we send the skeletal remains off to the University of North Texas, who is instrumental in doing mitochondrial DNA. And, um, and again, a, a, an organization that I just think the world of. They put forth huge time and effort in trying to make identifications. Um, University of North Texas, after contacting them and explaining how intricate this case was and what we found, they were excited for us to rush those remains to them so they could begin working on it. And within a very short period of time, we, we had DNA loaded into the national database, which is called CODIS, um, from family members of David Mino. And, and the University of North Texas was able to extract mitochondrial DNA from the, from the bone structures of what we sent them. And almost immediately were able to tell us that this was, in fact, the remains of David Mino. So, wow. Was this right? like adjacent, well, the majority of it adjacent to these railroad tracks where this camp was, or they, they were scattered all around? That's correct. And, and what had happened is <clears throat> the homeless camp was abandoned at some time, and over the next several months, um, work began to restore some of the railroad area there. And in doing so, they brought in bush hogs to kind of clear the tracks and the surrounding area around the tracks. Well, the bones indicated um, marks where they had been cut or chopped by a bush hog. Um, we weren't able to see anything from the bone structure that led us to believe anything, um, uh, any untimely death uh, occurred, any gunshot wounds or stab wounds or anything like that. However, um, we were able to see that you know, that the bones had gone through this bush hog um, process. And, and that's potentially what scattered a lot of it in the area we were looking. But we were able to recover uh, uh, the majority of, of David Mino's remains from that area. Wow. Delilah, did you, you happen to be on this search also for Heather, Heather Davis, um, Elvis, rather. Isn't that right? And weren't you involved in this one? Yes, as as Peter explained, um, we were at the uh, the base camp where everything was set up for the search for Heather when we all got called over there to look for something else, which, you know, it happens um, probably more than anybody thinks that when you're searching for one person, sometimes something or someone else shows up in that search. So, um, you know, it just... Of course, we were hopeful that it was Heather, but obviously, you know, the the remains and the skeletal remains were were much older than than what we were looking for. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a bittersweet sort of a situation. It's 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 good to find what you find, but on the other hand, you know that some family out there is going to hear some bad news. But um, so yeah, you actually it was, came upon those bones personally with some of the other two people? Yes, yes. We we had a, wow. a good team out there. Um, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they ran the dogs and everything, didn't they, Peter? And they indicated yep. on certain areas. And then, you know, you, what you do is kind of like an archaeological dig sometimes. You you dig into the, the dirt or the mud or wherever you happen to be and sift through until you find things. And, and now I, my particular area, we just found small finger bones and, and I think some ribs or something like that. But um, I believe some larger bones were found in other areas. So, you know, it's good that we were able to uh, bring that family resolution well, yeah. yeah, I'm just wondering from the from the standpoint of the searcher. I mean, I know law enforcement probably takes it a little more in stride, but from an emotional standpoint, you come upon this. Is it like totally startling, or is it like, oh, oh my God? Because you're not really sure what you're looking at. And you don't want to like 
step in the wrong place or, you know, contaminate something. I mean, was it, was, it, it must have been a total surprise, right, to come upon this? Well, by it, the time I is. got there, they, yeah, it was a surprise, but, and it was, you know, every time you find something that looks like a bone, even rocks, I mean, there's, there's experts there, and Peter's one of them that can say, <laughs> okay, we're keeping this and we're not keeping that one, but, you know, you make your little pile over here, and they come and check on it, and then Peter um, gathers the evidence. Wow. That's just, it, now, it, go, go ahead, Peter. It, it is difficult. I mean, I've been on several searches, searches where um, non-law enforcement personnel have found the remains, and and it is it's traumatic for them. Um, you know, you, you first thought as a as a law enforcement personnel is, you know, this is great. We found something, and you know, when my mind starts to go towards, all right, what do we got? How are we going to secure this area? And, and you know, my mind snaps into business. And then I look over at the searcher to realize, you know, there's there's tears streaming down that person's face because of the impact of what they've uncovered, basically. So, you know, it it, it is, it's bittersweet. You you know, you want to get excited that you've found something, but at the same time, you know that that find is going to bring a, a tremendous amount of sorrow to some family. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like I say, it, it, there's there's a whole tapestry of emotions there for everybody, and I'm, I'm sure. And well, with you know, with the anthropologist and and all of that, with regard in you know, contacting family in Ohio or what, wherever they may have been. I mean, were they were they very surprised, or was there a sense of relief, or when when you first you know when you knew that that this was David? That they were um, they were quite surprised. Of course, they they had a number of questions, and the entire family traveled from the Ohio area or, or wherever they may, may be to meet with us. Um, here at the police department in in uh, South Carolina, and um, and of course they came to the table with, you know, with a hundred questions, um, and, you know, and 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 obviously we try to answer every one of those, and and even though we've found that person, it doesn't mean that the investigation stops because part of part of that search and part of that find now is to determine. How did that person get there? And, and you know, was it was it by their own means, and was it a natural death that they just happened to be in that area, or is there some foul play behind it? So, you know, now you got to go back to the beginning of the story and retrace every step we took to see, you know, did we miss something? Is there someone in here? Could, you know, there's a lot of things that came to light. Obviously, David Mino had some money, and by all accounts, I, I didn't know him personally, but by all accounts of everyone that knew him, you would never know at any time that man was homeless. He would show up at friends' houses and so forth, and it looked like his clothing was pressed. You know, creases in his pants and everything. And Very, very it, handsome, charismatic-looking man. Yeah. Yeah, very nice man, and 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 according to the family, he he would even at times when he was homeless, he would fold his clothing in such a manner that they would that they would be neat and clean the next time he wore them. Mm-hmm. So, wow, people seeing him would never have realized that at any given time in his in his adult life he was homeless. He he looked. Just like you or I would walking around in in normal civilian clothing. Well, you, you that just goes to prove that you you just never know what's really going on in someone's life and what they show to other people. What is the what is the current status right now of that case and what kind of information may you be looking for with regard to to, to this particular person? Well, obviously, there's a lot of concern dating back to that July. Fourth or July eighth timeframe of 2011, where he was supposedly in or around the Garden City area, which is about a good 10 miles from where his 
remains were found. Now, there's also an indication that he had been maybe staying at that homeless camp that was in the area where his remains were found, possibly in or around that time frame as well. And obviously, he had a he had a moped, so he did have mode of transportation. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of discrepancies in the stories from 2011 as to, you know, as to what, where he was and what he did and, and who he may or may not have been with. And there was certainly some people throughout his past that may have wanted to see um, harm something. Come to him. Yeah, harm come to him in some way. Um, and, and so I, you know, I obviously I made a promise to the family that you know the, the the case would be closed from a standpoint of his remains were found. So we we cleared out the 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 missing person entry because now he's found. However, the investigative side to it, the how did he go missing? You know, where was he until we found him? That whole side of it will remain open in in hopes that you know that. We discover something um, that tells us uh, either it's definitively a natural death and, and, you know, we can rest assured that no harm came to him or did harm come to him and we need to go, we need to continue in the direction we were initially going in. Right. And it, it must be so much harder when the person by nature, for whatever reason, is sort of transient because you can't really, it's all kind of nebulous. You know, so it, it is. it's got to be hard, right? It it definitely is. I mean, you know, someone who's who's homeless, it makes it difficult from a standpoint of we have no commonalities to to track them back to. Um, right. In in David Mino's case, all we have is friends that he associated with, and you know, and and at the same time, you know, you have to wonder. Um, are they truly friends, or did they want harm to come to him? Did one of those friends want harm to come to him? So, right. you know, we've got to balance that scale to, you know, and, and and play nice in the waters to get information, but at the same time we're looking to see is the information leading us to a natural death or is it leading us to an unnatural death? Right. Well, with with this particular case, I mean, are there separate ends where if people have information, do do, do you do the um, uh, Horry County um, t- uh, nine nine one five tips number or what what in, what um, is the contact if somebody has information they want to share with regard to this case? We do we do have a tips line. There is an Horry County tips line, and and I, I got to tell you. Off the top of my head, the number escapes me, but I'll get I, it for you. I wrote it. I think it said tips uh, or nine one five tips, but uh, then is it eight one three? Maybe nine one five tips. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, is it's that area right? code eight eight four three nine one five tips. All right, that that's excellent. And, and 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 actually, there is no information that's not valuable to us at this point. So if you know. If anybody out there listening or, or knows anybody that knows of David Mino or, or, or anything about him, um, yeah. even if it's something you think we know already, please call that line. Um, it, it, it's, there's, there's no detail that should be left unturned at this point. That's I, too I small. Try. And it all remains confidential and all of exactly. that, right? And yep. are there just just so that we know for the record in these three cases, are there any active rewards for any of these cases? Monetary? There are. I I don't know about the David Mino case. There was an active reward on the Randy Davis and I believe the Zachary Malinowski cases. Um, um, but after a while, they expire, don't they? Or I believe they do. Okay. No, I believe they do. I don't. I don't know exactly what um, what is available, but certainly, uh, you know, I know everybody thinks of a reward from a standpoint of, you know, a financial value or something like that. But the bottom line to any reward is it's a self reward for for 
giving information that's going to help that family out and and give yes, them indeed. some. So it's right. you know, first and foremost is is the self fulfilling reward of just being able to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and help somebody out. I I totally agree. Unfortunately, not everybody thinks along those those lines, but we hope that there are people with conscience if they have information. Now let's go on to um, Zachary Malinowski. Um, why don't you e- explain about that case? We're we're familiar with that, but we just really need to to get that out there as well. Okay, Zachary Malinowski is, by all accounts, your typical 19-year-old male, um, nice fella, you know, uh, and and somewhere on or about August 25th of 2013, he went missing. At at that time. Um, he had been staying with his grandparents, and um, uh, it's believed that he got a phone call late at night, um, uh, left the house um, under normal circumstances. You know, most teenage kids or young, you know, uh, young 20s <clears throat> get phone calls all hours of the night, and they'll run out to meet with friends or whatever. Um, and we believe that's the case with, with Zachary. He... Um, he went out and and uh, you know left the house um, late at night, and um, and that's the last time anyone had seen or heard from him. Um, what what makes it particularly um, interesting in that case is that um, uh, is that he went missing from an area. Um, in Horry County, uh, Highway 905, which is somewhat in the Conway section of Horry County. And then um, sometime later, uh, let's see if I can tell you when, um, uh, somewhere around September 2nd, so uh, a few, you know, a few days later, the vehicle that Zach had been driving was found burned um, uh, on Valley Forge Road in the Ainer section of, of uh, Horry County, some probably 10 miles apart from one another. And um, in and around that vehicle were several items, uh, personal items of, of clothing and so forth that belonged to Zachary that were that were found at that time. So obviously, you know, upon the, the initial report of him going missing, it may not be so uncommon for for a teenager to be gone for a few days, although I think in Zach's case he always kept communications. We we live in the we live in the in the um, age of communications where everybody's got cell phones, and even if you don't see them, there's contact with them, and you know when someone's texting you or whatever. For the most part, you know if it's that that person or not just by little key things they say or text, right. and. Um, so Zachary's phone, we, you know, we, we're able to use some forensic tools and track some of the movement of his cell phone that night, and um, you know, and obviously the phone then goes uh, goes off off the grid where we can no longer track it. And um, so once the the car is found, at that point, it's it's obviously believed that some foul play, some harm has come to to Zach Malinowski. We did, go, you know, do a forensic evaluation of the vehicle and all, you know, the burned vehicle, because it was burned pretty much beyond recognition. Uh, we were able to determine the vehicle identification number off of it and, and, and prove that it was Zachary's car. Um, we were but able to But human remains were not found in it, Peter? It was just that they no. wanted this evidence of the car and other things to go away? Right. They... It, he, none of no remains from him were found in the vehicle, mm-hmm. um, and somebody obviously wanted to to try and make the vehicle disappear. And whatever personal effects we found of Zach's, uh, you know, around that site. So, you know, that's you know, obviously now that leads you into a different direction. That tells us that you know we're we're now probably no longer looking at a simple missing persons case, we're probably now looking at a homicide investigation. Yeah. 
And and from what what I have been reading over time, the there's a couple of primary primary suspects, and they seem to be really bad guys. I mean, I just I, I just couldn't believe it. I, wasn't there supposed to be um, potentially a, a, a trial date set? There's multiple crimes that these two suspects have committed. Is that right? That's correct. Two two suspects have been arrested in this case. Um, they've got um, extensive histories um, with the with the police department. So they they obviously are are our prime suspects, and and there's a lot of information that we have to believe that they are responsible for the, for Zachary's um, disappearance and death. Um, and and there there was some um, pr- preliminary hearings about the trial just recently, um, which resulted in a in a couple of motions being made through the court system that now have to be reviewed to see if they um, if they you know warrant merit about them or not. However, the the case will continue on, and obviously, we are still actively looking for. The, um, any remains from Zachary Malinowski. We've done countless extensive searches for him, and um, and we will continue to until you know we can find him and 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 hopefully bring him home and and bring some form of of I don't want to say closure because it, it'll never be closed, resolution. but some form of resolution and and and. Uh, you know, in sympathy to the family that you know that we've at least found him. Zach's mom is is, is wonderful. She's been out on so many searches with us. Um, his dad lives up in the Pennsylvania area. I have been in contact with him. We've got DNA profiles from both the mother and father loaded into the national database CODIS. So, um, if remains are found. For Zachary anywhere, um, you know, the assumption is they're here in Horry County. But if they were found anywhere and and, and entered into CODIS, it w- you know, we would be able to get a match against him. Mm-hmm. Two two questions: Is there enough direct evidence to link these two suspects to the crime? And then my other question would be: If, if that's the case, they're not they're not talking, or one one guy isn't turning on the other guy. Is that right? Um, no, and I and I really don't want to get too deep into into okay. them. There, there is there is a, there is a substantial amount of of information and evidence that indicates them. Obviously, we would not have been able to get arrest warrants for them if we okay. were not able to show just cause. So, I believe we're, we're we've got two people in in custody that are certainly involved in this. And I'm and and I also believe that there may be additional people that are involved that you know that we need to focus on, and and we're hoping that that will come to light in some of this investigation. And that that will help you know turn the case. And of course, it would be wonderful if you could have some information about about his remains or or his whereabouts or whatever. So that's the other key thing, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, and like I said, you know. It's it's difficult too because in this particular case I've worked so many searches for Zach and and have gotten to know his family <clears throat> intimately to you know um, and comfortably enough that that I can call them at any time and and discuss things with them and you know each year they have a um, uh, a vigil uh, for for Zach. Um, and I've attended those, and and so it's it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking to to not be able to bring some answers to the family, and and you know I I really so much want to do that. I, I would love to be able to find him, and I know there's people out there that know what happened to Zach and where he is, and they may be afraid of potential. Um, Repercussions, repercussions or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'll give you my personal guarantee that, you know, anything that comes into us is kept confidential. Um, it, it will in no way reflect back on anyone who tells us where 
you know, where we can find anything relating to, to, to Zach or any of these cases. Yeah. You know, obviously there's the TIPS number, but anybody listening knows I work for the Horry County Police. You can call me or, or email me, my, you know, both my, my private um, office line and my email are on the Horry County Police website um, under the Crime Scene Investigations Division. Contact me. I don't care. Any 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, anything you tell me stays confidential between us. I just would like to bring some small benefit to the family to be able to say, I found your son. Yeah. Is, is there any indication that these particular suspects um, were, it, there was any kind of gang involvement at all, or do they think it's, you know, or that, that has nothing, no bearing? I, I mean, are you I able do, to say? I do believe that from their standpoint, there is some um, local, you know, to some degree gang involvement. A lot of the background in the Zachary Malinowski case and the people that we're looking at is um, a drug traffic trade from this area, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and certainly some of the players in it are are um, people who we have looked at from for over the years for different narcotics violations and so forth. So I do believe that drugs plays a huge part in in his disappearance and. and um, and so forth. And I don't know if it's um, a result of the drugs, finances, or, or or what it could be in reference to it. But um, it, there's certainly there's certainly some some severe foul play in the in the Zach Malinowski disappearance. Uh, yeah, it, it's just incredible to me how much evil there is with with anyone who is victimized by maybe becoming addicted or whatever. It's just that drugs never bring anything good to the table. Let me just say that. I just, my heart goes out to any family where this is an element. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just saying it's just so pervasive and it's very, very sad. And I, I just wish, you know, it wasn't part of our society, Peter. Let's, Let's um, go on to a case that I, you know, that I've been involved with too, and, and having personal contact and being able to write about um, Randy Randy Davis. Yes, R- Randy Davis um, um, uh, is a case from 2016. Uh, he's a, basically a 25 year old male who went missing on January 26th of 2016. Um, that evening, Randy had been with several acquaintances at a home on Marshland Circle in uh, in Aino, South Carolina. And, and I know I mentioned earlier about a reference between um, um, between cases. Um, Randy and Zachary Malinowski, by all accounts, knew a lot of the same people in that area. Randy's case also involves drugs. Um, and and some of the drug dealers or drug trade in that area all runs through the same people. And so Randy's case, to some degree, may have some some connections some to... Did they know each other, Peter? Um, you know? I, I'm not 100% clear on that. Okay. Um, but at any rate, on, on January 26th, Randy is over uh, an acquaintance house on Marshland Circle... He was dropped off there by family members, and he had had some disagreements with one or two of the people that were at the house that night. So before the family members ever even dropped them off, Randy had to tell them that he, you know, that he felt safe or secure being there. That you know there was going to be no um, fighting or repercussions from any past history that they had. Well. He obviously felt comfortable enough to tell the family, you know, I'm good, go ahead, I'm going to stay here with my friends. And um, that night, um, during, you know, during the early morning hours, um, something occurred in the house, and Randy runs out the back door of the house into a heavy wooded area. Um, Friends 
or acquaintances of his supposedly run out of the house behind him. Um, I don't know if Randy is paranoid at that point about these guys coming after him or, or what the case may be, but he goes completely missing from there. And, um, and the next day, as I recall, we're called in to search the, the wooded area behind that house. And obviously, when, whenever we come in to search an area, much time gets put forth in the beginning to, to map out the area with overhead photography, um, which we use through, through you know, Google Earth and so forth, so we can see the lay of the land and what we're looking for. There's a lot of, um, th this area where he was is, is a, a farming community, um, heavily wooded with some farm fields nearby. This, this particular date was also following some recent storms where there was a lot of flooding and water on, in, in the ground area. Well, um, we searched extensively for weeks and, and uh, could not find anything um, belonging to Randy anywhere in the area where, where, you know, it was told that he ran out from. We extended that search over, over time, and, and it just kept getting larger and larger, the, the grid pattern that we were searching. And then jump ahead, you know, almost a year and a half. I remember he went missing January 26, 2016. On May 10th of this year, um, in an expanded search, um, not too far from the house, maybe about a mile from, from where the, the house is, it, you know, um, we, we were searching a heavy wooded area, like a, a track of ground that's, that's like a hunting track that local people will, um, will use that area to hunt for deer and so forth. And mm -hmm. one of the searchers um, on, on that particular day, on, on May 10th, you know, was assigned in that area, and 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 uh, they, they were working their way through. And there's a logging trail that runs from Horse Pen Bay Road, which is adjacent to Marshland Circle, where Randy uh, had gone missing from. That horse, that logging trail runs all the way back to um, to the farming fields. <clears throat> and um, one of the searchers saw something. That, that appeared to be uncommon in the area. She saw something white that looked like it might be part of a sneaker or something. Went a little bit further into the woods off of the logging trail to discover um, sneakers and, and, and began to look a little more closely, started to see some skeletal remains. Um, uh, obviously, you know, um, stepped back, you know, with, with a with the sheer panic on her face that, you know, oh, my God, I found something. Mm -hmm. We then converged on that area and immediately determined it was human skeletal remains. There were some items of clothing and so forth found there. Um, I kind of felt in my heart at that time that we had found Randy Davis, although the area could also have been relevant to the Zach Malinowski case and by the by all accounts, the bones could very well have been either one of those. Boys either one or, of them, wow. Or, or someone else for that matter. So, mm -hmm. you know, the first reaction is the, we know the news is going to hit this because they listened to the police scanners. Um, we, we reached out right away to both Randy Davis's mom and dad and Zach's Malinowski's mom to tell them we found some human remains um, we really don't want you to come to where we are, but we want you to know that the news is going to break soon, that human remains have been found, and we want you to be aware that there's a, there's a possibility it could be either one of your kids or someone else. Wow. Um, I can't imagine receiving that news. Oh, it must be so hard. Wow. And, and, and then, you know, several hours later in the excavation process of, of – of, um, of marking and detailing where each of the bones was found and the positioning and photography and so forth of everything. Um, th there's a lot that has to go into to the recovery so that we can, um, uh, so that we can, you know, recreate that scene 
you know, if you will. Um, we did come across some identification um, in in the clothing that linked immediately back to Randy Davis. So at that point, we were confident we had found Randy. So of course, the next phone calls are to both parents again, saying, you know, um, to Randy's mom, we believe we found Randy, and to Zach's mom, you know, we're we're quite confident this is not Zach. So obviously, one family uh -huh. is is, you know, is now heartbroken that they know their son is dead and, and that we found him at the same time. There's some relief that, okay, I know where he is. Um, right. And, and the police are working it, and hopefully they'll find out some more. And to the other family is that is that empty, you know, feeling again of, oh, my God, it's, it's not my son, and how many more phone calls am I going to get like this before they find my son? Yeah. So it's it, it, those are not phone calls that anybody wants to make or get, for that matter. And and um, you know, so for the endurance that both of those families have been have been doing, I I, I mean, I I commend them for for everything they've had to to deal with in these cases, and, and for the family of any missing person. I mean, it's it's just it's horrible what they have to go through. Yeah. So, so what what do we have in terms of, um, you know, like concrete evidence? And is there any any people to link the evidence to Randy's crime at this point? <clears throat> okay. Now, well, now on the Randy case, we take we collected all the, the skeletal remains and the clothing and so forth. And again, we we get up with our um, forensic anthropologist down in uh, North Charleston, um, and it, and it's a um, a female doctor down there, and she, like I said before, she is just amazing with, you know, how much effort she puts into things. Both her and, and I believe her husband is a forensic odontologist or dentist. So, in the in the Randy case, obviously, we, you know, we need somebody to look at the bones and tell us for certain that it's Randy. You know, even though we found ID, we've still got, you know, the fact that there's a a driver's license or something in the person's pocket doesn't mean that it's necessarily them. You know, right. you got to yeah. sure this isn't planted stuff trying to throw you off of things. So we've still got to do DNA testing, um, and and in this case, um, uh, we were able to locate a dentist that Randy had seen when he was um, uh, a, a youth and a, and a teenager. And we were able to almost immediately make a positive identification off of dental records. So that was, you know, that was um, a, a huge asset to, you know, to be able to say with with 100% certainty, this is Randy. Now at the same time, we have to look at based on the remains that we have. Is there any indication of gunshot wound, stab wound? Um, anything unnatural to the bone structure or to the clothing that would lead us to believe that this is a homicide versus, you know, he ran out of the house and could he have, you know, in a, in a, in a hyper excited state, could he have had suffered a, a heart attack or, or, or who knows what some type of, uh, Collab, of a, right? yeah. a, a natural event that caused his death. Um, obviously, the pendulum could swing either way. There was nothing in the bone structure or the clothing that led us to believe that there was a gunshot wound or a stab wound. Um, uh, and obviously, though, you know, that a lot of that is still being investigated and so forth. And again, that case is closed from the standpoint of the missing persons aspect of it is closed because obviously we found him. But the investigative aspect of it will remain open because we do believe that there are there's a a large potential for an unnatural death here for 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 a homicide and and obviously you know we want to we want to make sure we've got all of our facts and all of our information um, straight before we uh, go anywhere else. In in this case, Randy had some enemies that that did not like him, um, and, and a lot of it deals back to. Um, that same 
gang or drug trade activity from that area. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, I, my concern is, uh, you know, if uh, if this is a homicide, I want to bring those who are responsible to justice. Right. But if you have if you have skeletal remains, and like you said, there is no gunshot wound, there is no nothing that would indicate like stabbing. How do you how do you determine if you just have the skeletal and the skeleton looks the the integrity is is pretty good? How do you determine the 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 manner the manner of death? Okay. Well, it's quite often it's difficult to to determine the manner and mode of death. In in the case of Randy, obviously by the bone structure alone, we did not see. There's no break in a bone as a result of a gunshot. There's no scarring or breaking a bone as a, as a result of a knife stab wound. That's not mm-hmm. to say that neither one of them couldn't have occurred but not struck a bone. Okay. You know, people die from gunshot wounds all the time and it never strikes a bone or, or a stab wound and it never strikes a bone. So you have to go back to the initial event where he left that house. He obviously ran out of the back of that house that night in some paranoid panic or something, yeah. And and so what caused him to leave in that paranoid panic state of mind and what caused those people to run out after him? You know, were they were they after him to to get him and calm him down and bring him back or were they after him to bring him harm? And that's that's the truth that we need to come to light. And now I know, again, in Randy's case, there's people out there that know exactly what happened. Um, two of the two of our potential cast of subjects or suspects in this case were wearing ankle monitors, um, so they were released on a home release from from jail with ankle monitors, and obviously. Um, the tracking of those ankle monitors and everything else is is a subject of concern. It places um, them there at the scene, is that right? They, yeah, they're definitely there at the Marshland Circle scene, and 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 the movement from there is 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 quite questionable. So that's kind of still what we're digging into to try and find. But I know there are people that were there that night or may have come into contact with those that I think are responsible in. in Hello? I think Peter's call just dropped. It did. Uh Yeah, we've got a couple minutes remaining. You want to go ahead and close out the show, and then if he calls back in, we'll say goodbye. Okay. well then, I think we uh, we've given a, a good summary of our of our three cases here, and we we thank Peter so much for being able to um, to to uh, review the facts with us. And of course, as he said, we want to assure everyone that if they have information, please do contact them. Or I believe two out of the three cases are registered with the Q Center, and you you need not to have any qualms about sharing information. So um, we will definitely invite him back for other cases, and and we want to um, to um, invite you to come back uh, next week for our our, our next show. And uh, should Peter call back, we will give him our goodbyes and and uh, our thank yous. And um, be sure and pass the show around, please, to all of your friends in the Carolinas and beyond. So um, with that, I guess we'll close out, Delilah. Is that true? Yes, I think so. Okay. Um, Have a good weekend, everyone. And uh, we'll, we'll see you for the next edition of Shattered Lives Radio.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.